California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. I'm your host, Phil. Uh, week? Lord knows what week it is right now. Five? Four? I think it's around four we've still been in quarantine or under the shutdown orders. Um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, if you do believe, and you had, did watch the president's uh, press conference yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about that and why California, even as liberal as California is, is probably going to open a little sooner than you think it will. So that's good news for us here in California. Um but let's get right into it uh, with the out-of-the-gate monologue for this week. Watching the news, you may have seen the Michigan protests and now the Minnesota protests playing out in the state's capitals. For some, it's an impressive show of patriotism for those citizens who are tired of being restrained with such draconian measures, while others believe it is irresponsible to be defying the government in such a time. I have found that in this trying time, the Constitution is not the only place to look for your rights during this time of rapid government overreach and expansion. Instead, I urge you all to look to the Declaration of Independence to see the principles on which this country was originally founded. See, the Constitution is an incredible document that was written to create the government we all live under today. However, the Constitution is just the guidelines for how a government should be formally run. The Declaration of Independence was written to state to the British Empire our natural and inalienable rights granted to us by our Creator. Now, just want to quote and go over some of the lines. It's a short but beautiful document. I'm going to quote some of the most famous lines from the Declaration, and yes, I will complete the whole entire thing, unlike Joe Biden. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And here's the one that uh, old Joe had some trouble with. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Short and simple in its presentation, yet these words echoed across the oceans and around the world. Last week I spoke about how the Constitution was dead because we as a people failed to protect our natural rights. The goal of the government is not to give and to take away these rights. Because as I've stated before, they are not theirs to give and to take. Now let's look at these lines again. 
the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. God or nature entitles mankind to certain rights that are not to be taken away or infringed upon by the government. As the famous line goes on to say, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, the founders envisioned the government's role was to create a system of governing whereby their only purpose is to protect these unalienable rights. Never a mention of whether or not the government can strip you of these rights at the slightest inconvenience or sign of danger. That was the ultimate and only goal of our government in those early days of our country. You have the right to life to protect yourself and preserve your own mortal being. You have the right to liberty to choose your outcome without government overreach. You have the right to the pursuit of happiness to follow your own path and acquire personal property on your terms. And some will say, but those rights aren't law. We go by the Constitution for the laws of this country. But the Constitution rose from this belief that these rights are the ultimate rights worth protecting. State constitutions at the same time of the drafting of the federal government all mention these fundamental rights. For example, the Massachusetts Constitution 1780 wrote, All men are born free and equal and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties, that of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, in fine, that of seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness. The Pennsylvania Constitution 1790 read that all men are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent and indefeasible rights, among which are those of enjoying and defending life and liberty, of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property and reputation, and of pursuing their own happiness. Even our own California Constitution, when drafted in 1879, starts off with, all people are by nature free and independent and have inalienable rights. Among those are enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining safety and happiness. Starting to see a theme here. These are not just fancy words, and they're not something that sounds good in a speech, whether you can remember them or not. They are essential bedrock upon which our country is founded. Today, we see the trampling of this notion. The exact opposite is happening all over the country. We have surrendered our rights, our inalienable rights, without so much as a peep from its citizenry. We abdicated it all in the blink of an eye. So when you see protesters in open rebellion against draconian stay-at-home orders, I would like to believe they're simply living up to the ideal from our declaration that states, quote, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Never forget these principles upon which our country was founded and never be afraid to ensure our own government is living up to these ideals. So with that, uh, if you've been tuning in, President Trump did come out and he did declare that there, there is a four or a three phase uh, phasing in the reopening of the economy. And what he's been essentially done 
is stated that there are different phases. If you meet each phase, you can start to slowly open your economy. So it's it's kind of a tiered system of how it's going to go. Uh, what he's done is he's effectively led this, left this up to the states. And this is just a quick bit about what's going on here with the states and the hypocrisy of a lot of these Democrat governors like Cuomo. Not so much Newsom. Newsom hasn't really said anything, but Cuomo's been in open rebellion now against President Trump. Because he's been the one in the beginning who was crying and begging for help. He needed billions of dollars in aid and he needed ventilators. And this was based on all these projections. And now, all of a sudden, he doesn't need all these ventilators. He doesn't need all these hospital beds. The Navy uh, ship that was brought in into New York, not really being used anymore. But... They've now caught themselves in this weird conundrum where all of a sudden the Democrats have discovered the Tenth Amendment. And the Tenth Amendment, basically what it says, if you're not familiar with it, is that rights that are not inherently within the federal or federal government and under the Constitution are thereby granted to the states. So now all of a sudden you have all these Democrats who, for the longest time, have never been advocates of states' rights. Um, I think the last time that they were such advocates of states' rights, Democrats were, was probably Jim Crow and slavery. But it wasn't until FDR came along and turned it into a strong centralized federal government. Ever since then, they've believed that the federal government should be ruling over your lives regardless. Now, all of a sudden, you have Democrats who are advocating states' rights and saying that the states can do what they need to do. The states have their own power. You can't tell us what to do. You're not the be all and end all. So you have this weird quagmire of they, they say, well, on one hand, they go, well, in the beginning, Trump should have shut the whole country down. So you're saying that Trump has the dictatorial power to shut the country down unilaterally as the president. But now you say he unilaterally doesn't have the president, uh, the, the power to reopen because of states rights. And a lot of this is because they haven't gotten exactly what they need or, or, or how much they need. A lot of these states who were not prepared, who are, and you notice it's the states, especially New York. And New York is the biggest whiner. And, and I don't want to jump on California yet because for most of it, we've stayed out of the spotlight. We've done pretty well to stay out of the spotlight because we've done pretty well with the numbers um, and, and why we don't have a high fatality rate right now. And New York, for as much as I love it, East Coast guy, grew up obviously a big New York kind of guy. Um, they, they have now become a complaining state, this whining state who taxes the hell out of their citizens, a high tax state, kind of like here in California, and now turns around to the federal government. And I talked about this, is that the states have now abdicated any and at all responsibility when it comes to governing the states because they believe that the federal government is just going to bail them out. So now Cuomo's pissed off because he says, well, you can't just tell us to reopen the states and not give us any help. Federal government has given New York an abundance of help. And in fact, they've gotten the lion's share of help. And they're complaining that they still don't have enough money. Same thing with Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. Go Big Bird out there. Uh, he's saying that they don't have enough money. They, they are going to start laying off first responders like cops and ambulance and firemen and stuff like that. All those first responders that work for the city. Because they can't budget all $7 million. They can't make that payroll. So, again, two people who do not know how to manage the fact that they continually raise taxes 
if you keep raising taxes, you should have enormous budgets and enormous surpluses and amount of money to spend on. But they don't because they're not spending the money on these important things. They're spending the money on important things like Bill de Blasio who gave, I don't know, a billion dollars to his wife to figure out some sort of special education program. And to this day, no one really knows where most of that money went. Here in California, we sort of had the same problem, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, why California needs to reopen as fast as it does. For as much boasting and bragging that all these Democrat governors like Newsom, like Moonbeam like to say, that we have this huge surplus, that we we are such an incredible economy and we have this $20 billion surplus. That's how good we're doing. They don't like to talk about the fact that we also have a trillion dollars in unfunded uh, pension liabilities. But we're going to get to that. First, I want to play a clip of Gavin Newsom and his own six-point plan. And this came out before President Trump came out with his phases. So we'll, we'll see how he adapts it. But this was him talking about... Uh, how he believes they're going to best reopen the California economy. Uh, but the framework is predicated on the ability to do six things. Uh, the most important uh, framework uh, is our capacity to expand our testing, uh, to appropriately address uh, the tracing and tracking of individuals, the isolation and the quarantine of individuals using technology and using a workforce that needs to be trained in an infrastructure that needs to be in place uh, in order to begin the process to transition. Uh, I'll talk more about that and we'll be more prescriptive in terms of what that looks like. The second phase uh, is maintaining our vigilant on protecting the most vulnerable populations in the state of California uh, from infection and spread. Primarily our seniors, those uh, with immune uh, order issues and specific strategies and interventions around addressing the needs of our homeless as examples uh, of addressing uh, those vulnerable populations as a top priority. Number three is uh, addressing again the ongoing needs of our hospital and alternative care uh, delivery system uh, to meet the needs of of potential surges uh, as uh, we adopt new strategies, as we loosen the stay-at-home orders ultimately and eventually uh, the prospect of increased infections and spreads. We need to make sure that that infrastructure uh, is protected and to make sure that those assets are well prepared. PPE, not just again, uh, the masks and ventilators and gowns and shields, but also uh, making sure uh, that we have a myriad of other uh, protective gear uh, for that workforce and to make sure that we're capable from an ICU perspective and hospitalization perspective to meet any additional surges. Uh, the fourth frame is to continue the work uh, that we've been doing on a weekly basis, and that is to engage academia, uh, to engage our research partners, uh, to engage those that are on the front lines, and they happen disproportionately uh, to be here in California, companies like Gilead, companies like Genentech, uh, credible 
uh, operations uh, of support that are coming from our hospital systems, UCs, Stanford, uh, USC's, Scripps, and others, including our national labs, to make sure that we're really advancing and continue to promote more protocols on therapeutics, which are profoundly important as we bridge ultimately uh, towards the herd immunity and the vaccine uh, within, we hope, the next year or so. Uh, number five is the incredible importance of redrawing our floor plans. And that is uh, quite literally a responsibility if we are moving into a next phase of our businesses uh, so that we can practice safe physical distancing within the premise of a business, within uh, and around a school site uh, and facilities large and small, public and private, all throughout the state of California. So uh, quite literal strategies, guidelines and expectations on what physical distancing would look like within those facilities, not just broadly uh, out on the streets, our parks, playgrounds and in our coastlines. And finally, our capacity always to turn on that faucet again and reinstate uh, more vigorous uh, controls. And, and that's just uh, a, a process that uh, will perhaps be the most challenging if indeed we lean in, but we have to then lean back out as we toggle uh, from stricter to looser interventions back and forth. Uh, as things change, as data comes in, as health concerns uh, make themselves uh, real in terms of that data, or at least more obvious, our capacity to pull you back in uh, and to encourage people uh, to advance the social distancing, uh, the stay at home uh, and physical distancing that has gotten us to this point uh, today. And so that's the framework. Those are so there you have it. It's a Gavin Newsom, six principles, uh, vague or whatever, you know, kind of lucid or whatever. And this was before uh, President Trump came out with his phase. So how he's going to try and change it and work around with what the federal guidelines are now um, should be a little interesting. But the one that I, I always think is pretty interesting is actually the last one is the most perplexing and worrisome to me. And that is this idea that you can toggle back in and out of the state of social distancing, stay at home orders, um, and that he can just change his mind. Well, it looks like we're getting a little too, getting a little too hot here. Okay. Now we got to back off. Everyone's got to go back to social distancing, go back to stay at home. Uh, we got to start and restart and, and stop and restart. This goes back to the top of what I was talking about in the opening monologue, which is that these governments, these democratic governors don't seem to understand that these rights that we have are not rights that are to be given or taken away. And that's an inherent flaw in a lot of leftist philosophy. You see it in the people like Bernie Sanders. You see it in far leftists like AOC. You see it in a little bit with uh, Gavin Newsom. You, you're starting to see it with, you definitely see it with Bill de Blasio and you start to see it with Cuomo. And you definitely are seeing it with Governor Whitmer in Michigan. These leftists believe that these rights are given to you by the government as if it's a privilege to have these rights. And you should be so lucky that the the deities and the, and the sovereigns that rule over this poor working class of schmucks should be able that they should get the rights and we give them and designate them to you. That's not how any of this works. OK, 
we get the rights because they are inherent inalienable natural rights. The right to liberty, the right to life, the right to pursuit of happiness. Um, and you don't get to just toggle with these rights. You don't get to flip the switch on and off and say, okay, well, now you have the rights. Now you don't have the rights. Now you do have the rights. Now you don't have the rights. The rights are always there regardless. The rights have been there in the founder's eyes. These rights have been there since the beginning of time. It's just it didn't really get recognized until the founders sat down in the 1700s and started to think to themselves, do we need to be ruled by a, a king, one person who thinks that he can give us the right to do all these things? No, that's when they started to believe that natural rights, this idea of natural rights and doing these things that you have, these inherent rights, are not things that are granted by any sovereign or by any government. But these leftists don't see it that way. They see it as I can turn this on and off and you have nothing to do about it. Now, I'd like to give credit to the people of Michigan. They started to say, okay, you've gone way too far. You've gone over the top with this. You've gone a little bit crazy with all these draconian measures. And we, we've had enough and we're just going to not listen to it anymore. And just like the Declaration of Independence says... When it becomes to the point where the government doesn't represent you and doesn't listen to the consent of the governed, all of a sudden you have that right to step back and say, nope, we're not listening to you anymore. That's not how this works. Because the government's role from the founding is not to uh, gratuitously give you these rights. It is the ultimate goal of them to protect these rights. And that's why people get really fed up with stuff in California where they, they, they make things legal that were once not legal or they, they lessen the idea of criminal or they lessen the severity of criminal law punishments. Criminal law was created by the founders for one purpose, which was to protect your ability to have these natural inalienable rights. Because when someone commits an offense against you, a criminal offense, whether they they murder you or they steal your property, these are infringing on your inalienable rights. So when you have someone like Gavin Newsom who starts to sign into legislation or Governor Moonbeam who starts to lessen what is crime, whether you can steal $900 worth of stuff and get away with it, um, or they want to let a whole bunch of people out of jail who, uh, for most of the part, are violent offenders. These are things that are infringements on these inalienable rights. And that's why inherently people get really upset because they say, well, I'm just trying to live my life. I'm trying to have a, a you know, protect my family. I have my property, this, and that, and the other thing. And that's, they just think that these are things that are not negotiable and that the government has absolute control over them, which is not how this is supposed to work. And I think we're starting to see a lot more people hopefully become a little more constitutionally minded after this. I hope people start to wake up and say, hey, what are my civil liberties? What are my rights? How far can the government go in these instances? And I'm what my stance is, is that the government has gone too far in this instance. And a lot of these states, they're well prepared at this point. California is well prepared. Gavin Newsom talks about he needs more testing or he needs to make sure we can meet this. There's more than enough hospital beds at this point. There seems to be more than enough uh, ventilators. So many ventilators, he's giving them away. So this idea we need to get more equipment and more PPE equipment, he's starting to give stuff away. But that, that so 
Still, the infringement on these rights is not, and I will say this again and again and again until people start to wake up and understand this, these rights are not something that you can just take away from people. They are not something you you can suspend without due process. They're not just something you can say, okay, today you don't have these rights. Tomorrow you don't have these rights. For the next month you don't have these rights. Your goal is to protect our rights to the best of our ability or to the best of your ability. So uh, a lot of people think that because California, of course, is a very liberal state, uh, it's a very blue state, that we're probably going to take a long time. We're probably going to be like Eric Garcetti, uh, which who said that he wants to keep it closed probably till the end of the year. He doesn't want any mass gatherings, which is bad for his city, um, a city that could desperately needs the revenue. Pretty soon they'll be asking for federal bailout money because they can't have uh, football games. They can't have baseball games. They can't have events. They can't have concerts, all this stuff. Um, And LA is big on those things. So taking that stuff away from them. But uh, this is an article from uh, Fox News uh, headline. Coronavirus in California shutdown worsens revenue woes. So guess what's coming? Uh, who was it written by? Tom Del Beccaro. Beccaro. Should know that as an Italian. Uh, California is making plans to reopen its economy, even though many assume rural California will be closed longer than most. So why is it planning to open? Perhaps the reality of its fiscal crisis is too stark for Governor Newsom to ignore. Just how big is the California state budget? The answer is over $214 billion annually between money that the legislature appropriated and voter-approved bond spending. The next closest state is New York at approximately $180 billion. For their part, California's 58 state uh, county governments spend over $80 billion per year, and its 482 city governments spend about the same. The state also has government entities known as special districts that spend $70 billion per year, transit operators that spend $10 billion annually, and transportation planning agencies that spend about $4.5 billion. All combined, government entity spending in California approaches half a trillion dollars each year. That tally is almost 50% of the total state economy and doesn't include $100 billion in federal funds spent by California state government each year. The problem facing all those California government is revenue shortfalls caused by the government-mandated shutdowns. The state and its cities and counties rely on sales tax, use tax, hotel occupancy taxes, just like here in San Diego, gas taxes, property taxes, and business operation taxes. Of course, the state also relies on income taxes. All those tax collections will be less than what was budgeted at the start of the current fiscal years. While it's not exactly clear... When shutdown of California will be ended, it is clear at least three months of those expected tax revenues, a quarter of the fiscal year or more, will be severely impacted. Uh, of course, all those lost businesses will result in empty storefronts throughout California. Empty storefronts reduce property values, which means lower property tax collections. Keep in mind, California governments collect $75 billion per year in property tax, and most of it is paid by business investment property owners. Overall, in very real economic terms, when California does lift its coronavirus shutdown, the state's economy will be smaller than what, when the shutdown started, and smaller economies kick off less revenue. Meanwhile, to deal with the crisis, spending has risen at all levels of government in California. The full amount has yet to be determined. So what will California do to combat its economic slowdown and budget deficits? Well, you can expect federal government bailouts requests to be made. However, the precedent implications of federal government bailouts of state and local budget deficits limit that possibility. That leaves, ready for this? 
tax increases. California already has the highest state sales tax, the highest gas tax, 61.2 cents per gallon, highest income tax, the eighth highest business taxes, highest in the West though, and property taxes in the top third of the nation. Not satisfied with those statistics on the ballot this fall in California is an effort to raise property taxes. Uh, apparently, California's tax lovers and big spenders want to be the first in tax collection in every possible category. The goal is to overturn the property tax protections enshrined in Prop 13, which set off a wave of tax reform throughout the country, a wave Ronald Reagan wrote to the White House. Under Prop 13, property taxes are set at 1% of the property's market value at the time of acquisition, and annual increases are limited to no more than 2% per year. According to the proponent's estimate, property tax receipts could increase by as much as $12 billion more revenue in the budgets of 12 states. In other words, they want to extract $12 billion out of the private sector as it struggles with the shutdown aftermath. Raising taxes during a weak economy is like handing weights to a struggling swimmer. Keep in mind that California already ranks at the very bottom places to start a new business. As an attorney who has represented small business in the state for over 30 years, I can tell you the struggle is real. Extracting $12 billion more out of landlords with empty storefronts and mortgages to pay is a recipe for further economic decline, lower property values, and therefore lower tax receipts. In other words, the tax increase will make fiscal matters even worse for California governments over time. That Prop 13 battle will only be the beginning, however. Cities, counties, and states with their $750 billion plus infrastructure deficit their even worse long-term pension shortfalls and other debts won't stop there in the quest for new revenue. California is leading the state in government spending taxes, debt, and need to solve budget deficit. We can only hope that so goes California means won't mean so goes the nation. So good and bad. Good in a sense that it's good that maybe we'll all get to go back to work. Bad because California is funding a lot of debt, is holding a lot of debt, a lot of deficit, and uh, as I've said, almost a trillion dollars in unfunded pension liabilities. Now you have a $750 billion infrastructure deficit, which I thought the gas tax was supposed to fix, but the gas tax is obviously not fixing that. Um so debts, deficits, probably over a trillion dollars, well over a trillion dollars. Uh, they're not making as much money as they are. Uh, they've already deferred a lot of sales tax for fifty thousand, up to $50,000 for a lot of people. So California in 2020 is going to have a rough revenue problem. And that's going to hurt their budget. So there's going to be a lot of things that they voted on and that they've already shoved through. Because if you don't know, if you're unfamiliar with how things happen in California, all the bills basically for the year, for some reason, don't come through little by little. They all come through all at once. Um, and whether they all get voted on or whether they all get sent up to the governor is to be determined. So there's a lot of bills out there that probably have already allocated money or have already appropriated funds for this, but probably won't be able to pay for it. So how are we going to pay for it? Again, a lot of this stuff is obviously bond funded, bond funded, bond funded, bond funded, bond funded. I'll get this right. And as we've said on this show, every time you see the word bond in a, in a proposition, always replace the word bond with taking out debt and you'll start, you'll change your whole mind. So every time you read a pop proposition and it says authorize the state to, and it says bond, just say it authorizes the state to take out more debt because that's essentially what it is, is that you're authorizing the state to issue a bond that then has to be paid back. Um, they don't have the money. They just borrow money to you, whatever they want to do. 
Meanwhile, this is the state that still likes to boast that they have $20 billion in surplus. So you have a state that has almost over a trillion, probably over well over a trillion dollars in deficit when it's all said and done, deficits and debts. Um, yet they like to say, oh, I got $20 billion in surplus. That's kind of like someone showing off that they have this brand new sports car and they have you know six, six figures in the bank, but they probably have a million dollars in debt from all the stuff that they put on credit cards or took out loans for. It's not a good financial picture. So the good is in this sense that maybe California will open a little bit faster. Good news is that today Governor Newsom did come out and say that this should be a county by county reopening. He will allow counties to have the own, their own authority to figure out whether they want to open or not, which makes sense because a lot of people think California, and I will tell you this, uh, as someone from the East Coast, everyone thinks of California, they think it's two miles wide, everybody lives on the beach, and they either live in San Diego, LA, or San Francisco, and we're all bunched together, and we're all right next to each other, which is not the case at all. California is an enormous state, so what makes sense for LA County does not make sense for Inyo County. Um, if you don't know where Inyo County is, you can look it up. I still don't know. I just know that that's the name of one of the counties or states all the way up there in what they call the state of Jefferson. Everyone forgets about all that stuff kind of north of Sacramento. Do those counties have to abide by the same thing? Do counties far out east, close to the border, have to abide by the same shutdown orders as L.A.? No, because it doesn't make sense. If you only have single digit coronavirus cases, then there's really no reason for you to shut down your entire county and your economy just because LA can't get its crap together. Same thing with the cities. For what it's worth here in San Diego, we've done pretty well. There hasn't been a huge outbreak. There hasn't been a huge outbreak. There hasn't been a huge spike. The hospitals haven't been overrun as opposed to LA, which has a lot of cases. So is what's good for LA the same good for San Diego? I don't think so. I think San Diego can go back to a relative sense of normality with social distancing and with the precautions in place and work towards that and be a little bit safer and a little bit more cautious. Maybe let the poor surfers go back out to surfing. That would be a nice start. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how he does this. We'll see how he rolls it out. Again, I don't like this idea of toggling your rights back and forth that he can just decide whether you want. I think when people go back out and they go back to work, I think that's it. I think that's the end of it. Once you let the horse out of the barn and you let everyone go back to work, it's too late. And you're going to tell people to go back to stay at home orders or quarantine. It's not going to work. People are going to go nuts and they're really going to revolt. They're already starting to revolt. There are people, excuse me, there's people already sitting on the LA freeway out there driving because they can't take it anymore because they just want to get back out. And I, I don't think anybody's ever said that they're happy to see L.A. traffic again, but people are happy to say that there's L.A. traffic again. Uh, so this next article I want to go over, um, there's some other articles that I, I am going to put in the show notes because I wanted to get to them, but I don't want this to get too long. Um, one of them is an article about how California and New York are both going to ban wet markets, which you can read the article for yourself. I read it and I was sitting there going, wet markets are still a thing 
here in California. The fact that wet markets are still a thing in California, in the United States, is absolutely baffling. And the fact that now all of a sudden they say, oh, well, now we, we should probably ban it. Um, so this last article I'm going to talk about real quick uh, is from Yahoo News. Headline, uh, so much is unknown about the pandemic because the government keeps a lid on it. Uh, this was in the LA Times, uh, but I guess it was reprinted in Yahoo News. Again, all these links are always in the show notes, so you can read them for yourself because a lot of times these are big articles um, and I don't want to sit here and just become an audiobook or a newsreader for you. But I do want to at least read some of the articles and get the information out to you. Um, but if you want to read the whole article, go to the show notes. You can read it for yourself. You can pull it up and you can share it. Uh, just make sure that whoever you share it with, make sure you just throw out a little little love for California Underground. Say, hey, I heard this about this article on the California Underground. Just, you know, maybe you should check it out. It's a pretty cool podcast. Um, anyway, uh, it is a tragedy unfolding in real time at a skilled nursing facility in the Tular County town of Vesalia. 71 residents and 41 staffers have tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Six residents at the Sun 176-bed Redwood Springs Healthcare Center are dead, and eight are in acute care, according to Anita Hubbard, the center's administrator. But without Hubbard's details, little would be known about the California's worst outbreaks of the deadly virus in a senior facility. Tular County stopped commenting for five days, which during that the, which during that time the numbers of positive cases skyrocketed. Like other cities and counties statewide, California doesn't require release really such information even in the midst of a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus continues to claim hundreds of lives across California, a secondary victim of the crisis is emerging, government transparency. Much of what we know about COVID-19 in nursing homes and senior facilities did not come from public agencies, but private sources, relative staff members, and administrators. Information about the availability of PPE or is lacking up in the anxiety of healthcare workers. Corona, coroners, coroners, coroners aren't releasing information about this. Until recently, California was not releasing information about the racial background of people who were infected and killed. Government confusion has undermined public understanding of the crisis and potentially compromised California's response, some health and civil liberties experts argue. But there are few rules for what cities and counties must disclose and little direction from California's top officials, including Governor Gavin Newsom, on what must be communicated in urgent moment. Uh, mistrust is the enemy of good public policy and certainly good public health policy, said Jeffrey Kahn, head of the John Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics. Last week, the American Civil Liberties Union of Northern California sent, a, sent Newsom a letter requesting more transparency about the pandemic's effort on people of color and other at-risk groups. From Let's go down some more. On April 7th, Newsom announced that California has secured a monthly supply of 200 million N95 respiratory and surgical masks to help protect healthcare workers. The governor did not announce the procurement during his daily media briefings, but on the Rachel Maddow show. That left some lawmakers surprised because they would have to authorize the purchase within days. Under normal circumstances, the legislature would have had more time to deliberate on an expenditure of this magnitude, wrote State Senator Holly Mitchell, a Democrat from Los Angeles, chair of the Joint Legislative Budget Committee, in a letter to Newsom last week asking for more clarity on the terms of the deal. Uh, goes on to say, there are so many opportunities in a crisis like this for government officials to abuse their powers while everyone's eyes are off the ball. 
Uh, David Snyder, executive director of the First Amendment Coalition, says, uh, Despite the tremendous stress of the pandemic, public health officials still have an obligation and a need to provide information. The fastest way to lose your credibility is to give out incorrect information, he said. The second fastest way would be to give out no information. So whether or not we're actually getting the full information of what's going on or how bad is, maybe that's the paradox of what's going on here in California. Maybe that's why it seems like everything is going so well in California is because we're really not getting the full story. Regardless, if we're not getting the full story, either tell us the full story of why we're sitting inside or let us out. Um, and got, a lot of this stuff is, you know, I always say this, Gavin Newsom is a tricky and very astute politician. He learns from the best as he's related to uh, Nancy Pelosi. By the way, if you saw Nancy Pelosi's incredibly tone deaf ice cream video with James Corbin, Corbin or Corden, Corbin. I don't know. I don't watch his show anyway. He's the carpool karaoke guy. If you didn't see that video, you want to talk about the absolute definition of social tone deaf. It's Nancy Pelosi sitting in her um, house that's worth millions of dollars in front of her refrigerators that are worth uh, $24,000 eating ice cream that is $6 a tiny little pint. Uh, and she's trying to sit there and say, oh, James, I'm just, I, I, I'm just like you and everybody else who's sitting at home right now. Everybody else, I'm just like you eating ice cream in my multi-million dollar mansion. She should be in Washington. I don't know why she... It's, uh, it's unbelievable to me that Washington is on recess right now. We are seeing a pandemic this country has never, ever seen. And Congress says, well, well look at the time. It's uh, time for us to go on recess. I'll see you later. Meanwhile, you have all these small business reliefs that are running out of money left and right. Small businesses can't pay their payrolls. They're going to probably all, most of them are going to start closing up shop and going bankrupt. Sure, but... Nancy Pelosi has to show off her $6 ice cream in her $24,000 fridges. Talk about tone deaf. Um, but we all knew that. We knew Nancy Pelosi was tone deaf and doesn't care about the little people anyway. Anyway, Gavin Newsom, who is very slick politically and is very good at... Uh, he's playing his cards very well right now. He's staying out of the spotlight. He's keeping away from the ire of President Trump right now. He's not getting stuck in the tit for tat. Um, whether that helps or hurts him, I don't know. Maybe people want him to kind of poke his eye at the president and, uh, or poke the president's eye a little bit and get him all riled up and get on his radar. But I guess he figures, well, Cuomo's kind of taking the brunt of it right now. I kind of want to show people I can run a state as an adult and not have to worry about going tit for tat with the president who many people think has a thin skin anyway. Maybe that's how he's playing it. And maybe he's trying to play this all very close to the chest so he can show I've done such a good job. Uh, look at how good California is doing. Um, we've done we've done an exceptionally good job with the social distancing. Maybe they're using it to say, well, look, all the measures we're doing seem to be working. But if the measures we're doing are not working, people are going to start to sit back and go, well, if the measures we're doing are not working, then why are we doing these measures in the first place? Sort of like, are you tailoring the data and the information that's being let out to prove your theory and your hypothesis that social distancing and these stay-at-home orders seems to be what's working and making California so successful? Maybe. 
And a lot of these politicians are, of course, going to step back after this is all over and pat themselves on the back and say, look what I did. I did such a good job implementing my stay at home orders, uh, doing the social distancing, and that's why we did so well. Even though at the end of the day, no one's really going to know for years what really happened with all this coronavirus stuff. And we've talked about this before. They're called confounders. Just because there is a correlation to say, well, we didn't have a lot of people uh, die because of social distancing, because of the shutdown order. Maybe, maybe there's other confounders like we've talked about. Maybe the coronavirus actually made its way through the state before and we've built up herd immunity. Maybe uh, the weather has something to do with it because of the UV rays. Who knows? Maybe we have a healthier population. So therefore, you know, there's a whole bunch of these things called confounders. Is it because we commute to work in cars? Is it because we don't rely on transportation? We're much more spread out. Are those reasons why? But regardless, if you're withholding the information and only letting out information that makes you look like you're doing things in a good light, then you're no better than who, you know, if everyone's claiming President Trump is out there and they don't want to carry his his press briefings anymore because they think they're full of disinformation. You're no better than the guy you hate who says who you think is giving everyone disinformation. If you're withholding information, that's definitely not good. So Californians, I think, deserve to know what the heck is going on in the state, whether what we're doing is working or whether or not uh, if it is working, why is it working? How well is it working? If it's not working, can we go back to work? Can we go back to doing what we're doing? Uh, So with that, I'm going to end today's show, uh, the Reopening America show, Reopening California show. Uh, So I've been doing a pretty good good job staying on schedule week to week. Maybe the staying home in the quarantine does help, uh, but really trying an effort to make sure I stay on top of Getting out more info, getting out more stuff on social media. With that said, follow on Instagram, California Underground. Uh, Same thing with Twitter. Just search for California Underground. Uh, You can go to californiaunderground.wordpress.com. Post a lot of articles, or I post articles. I post the the out-of-the-gate monologue. So if you want to read them, share them with people, um, that's where you can go. If you want to leave what they call a voice message, you can call into the show. If you go to anchor.fm, again, you can call into the show. Even though this is a podcast, you can call in and leave a question. Um, go to anchor.fm forward slash California underground. Play your question or your call on the podcast. Answer it the best that I can. I want to hear from people. I want to know that people are out there listening and they're listening to what I'm saying and that, that they have questions that we can get through this and we can figure out these issues together. That's the point of this show is to start the conversation with other like-minded people who want to figure out how to fix this state and put it back on the right track. So with that said, um, thanks for listening. Uh, tune in next week. Keep a lookout on the social, uh, on the social media. I sound like a boomer. <laughs> Keep a lookout on social media. Uh, and until then, stay safe, stay healthy. Don't be afraid to question those statistics. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Even if someone says you want to kill someone's grandmother, don't be afraid to ask questions and question everything that's going on right now. So until then, everyone take it easy, stay safe, and I'll see you in the next one.
Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 